Judges 5 and Genesis 35. We're taking a week off from Revelation this week. We'll return to that next week. Judges chapter uh, chapter 5. I'm going to read with verse 4, and I'm actually going to read through verse 11. Uh, this is the word of God. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped this, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even before the Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel and they ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. And then back in Genesis 35, verse 8, And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we're so glad that we have before us this morning the very word of God that is true and that it's certain. So, Father, take that word, apply it to our hearts and minds, we pray. Uh, Father, guide us in how we would serve you, we ask. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our perception today of the role of women in the world and in society? Uh, Who are the role models that we have for women and young women? You know, we live in a rapidly changing world that includes... Women in the United States who have unparalleled freedom and privileges, but also women who remain behind the veil of uh, Islamic fundamentalism, uh, sometimes not even allowed to go to school. Um, In such a world, there are a lot of different perceptions of women in general, of what the responsibilities and their opportunities are. Add to that complexity uh, that the elites among us today can no longer tell us what a woman actually is, And they outright reject the term mother. So this morning I want us to consider two timeless role models for women who share the same name. Now whenever a discussion of the great women of the Bible comes up, women with great faith and moral character or role models, one of the names that almost always comes up, of course, is Deborah. Uh, She's one of Israel's great leaders. But what about the other woman who shares that name? The other Deborah. We do not hear much about her. We don't hear many sermons about her. Uh, In many ways, she's a woman of mystery because of what we don't know about her. Yet, as we begin to look at her this morning, I suspect uh, none of us will have trouble coming up with a a mental picture of what we think she was like. And then we'll draw a few comparisons with her namesake, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, the leader of Israel. And we're going to see we have two outstanding role models. Uh, for women today. Women who love God, who understand their covenant responsibilities and maximize their individual gifts for the sake of God's kingdom uh, in the place where God puts them. And as uh, men and boys, there's much we can learn from watching their lives as well. So let's go to the text. 
Deborah, number one, steps into the Bible story in Genesis 24. And then she pops up again over 100 years later in Genesis 35 when we find her obituary. Now, we're reading through Genesis. That latter verse should catch us by a surprise. It's an intriguing statement uh, and detail that Moses includes. Keep in mind, he's guided by the Holy Spirit uh, when he describes Jacob's return to Bethel. After all, let's pick up on something Abraham Kuyper tells us, reminds us. He says, consider what the Bible is. It's, it's God's revelation of, of himself to his people. It's words that describe God, that show us his character, uh, his attributes, show us his love, show us his grace, uh, show us his creation, his plan of redeeming human beings from slavery to sin, unfolding them what that plan is through the, telling about Christ's coming, his incarnation, his life, his ministry, his victory on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and then looking forward to the ultimate return of Christ one day. And so in the midst of that, it might surprise us that Moses takes the time to give us the obituary of a person whose name we don't even know until the obituary is written. The first time she's mentioned in the Bible only tells us what her role is, and that is as a nanny. <clears throat> but Genesis 35 eight tells us, And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called his name alone, Bakuth. And the question ought to be is, what's so significant about a family servant's death that Moses feels the need to tell us about it? Uh, that God deems it something for us to know. Let's start by asking what we do know about Deborah. We know she's from Padan Aram. Uh, it's the hometown of Rebekah, of Laban, of Leah, of Rachel. Uh, we know she was never married, that she was a household servant. She worked for Bethuel in caring for children. We know she was Rebekah's nurse when she was growing up. Um, when Abraham's servant came calling to try to find a wife for Isaac. Uh, he found Rebekah, and we're told this in Genesis 24, 59. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. At that point, we're not even told what her name is, but we are told that she's sent away. So she has to leave behind any family relationship she has, any friendships she has, uh, everything that's familiar, and then she continues to labor in obscurity for the family for the next 130 years or so, caring for Rebecca's twin sons then, uh, Jacob and Esau, and then for Jacob's, uh, any other children born in the household, and only for Jacob's kids. Uh, and it's no surprise, given that Jacob was sort of a homeboy, stayed around the house while Esau went out and, and hunted, uh, he had a strong attachment to Deborah. And so when we come to Genesis 35, it's obvious she's not living with Isaac and Rebekah anymore. Um, in fact, uh, Rebekah is, is, is dead at this point. Make a point that the, the Bible doesn't tell us when Rebekah died. Um, and uh, she's not mentioned after Jacob leaves home, except when we learn Jacob's dying, and they're going to bury him in the cemetery, and they mention already that Abraham, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah are buried there. Uh, so we're left to wonder. When did Deborah leave serving Isaac and Rebekah and go to serve Jacob? The Bible doesn't tell us. 
Now, Jewish tradition, legend, suggests that Isaac or Rebekah sent Deborah to be with Jacob when he got married, uh, began to have all those children, you recall, um, and that uh, after all, there was communication back and forth between the places. Uh, we know that. So it's not impossible that Deborah did get for a season to return to her homeland to care for Jacob's children. Um, it's also possible that once Jacob's family came back to the promised land, that she joined them then to help care for the younger children of the family. What we do know is this. The family so emotionally moved by Deborah's death, at probably over 160 years of age, that the intensity of their mourning gives the name to the place where she's buried. Oak of weeping, oak of tears. And that the family stories that have been handed down over the years include stories about this beloved family nurse um, and such that, that Moses is moved to take her story and include it in Genesis. A God-given detail about the life of a woman who evidently had a far greater impact than any of us could imagine. I mean, her death's reported and Rebecca's is not. So we can be quite sure she was never married. She never had biological children. But she was a covenant mother in every sense of the word. She was a mother in Israel, which is the title that Deborah gives herself in the book of Judges. And so what stands about, out about her position, her life, is that she brings to the attention of the triune God that mentions her the Bible, uh, is when we think about how she used her gifts. And what does it suggest to us what's important in life? For one thing we would observe is this, relationships with people matter, especially with children. In the final analysis, when we look back at our lives, we're not going to focus so much on the things we've done, on our accomplishments. Brother, our focus is always on, on, on people. Uh, it's on relationships that we have with them. Deborah achieved no great fame or notoriety in her job as a family nanny. But I guarantee you she made an impact she cared for three generations of children. She showed flexibility, she showed adaptability to the situations God placed her in as she spent a lifetime ministering to children. And friends, a life given over to caring for others, that's what makes an impact. Now, you don't have to necessarily be a nanny uh, to care about them. Uh, we care for others expressed in all sorts of ways in how we live. How do you do that here at CMPC? Well, we, we express care we, if we teach Sunday school or, or we lead Wednesday evening, Wednesday night live, keeping the nursery, just taking an interest in the lives of the children and teenagers in their spiritual growth, helping in vacation Bible school and mentoring, discipling, we show we care for people by taking meals to their homes, being a, a friend, being a big sister, having a listening ear, praying with someone who needs somebody to pray with them, and on it goes. For Deborah, caring about children was a way of life, imitating a God who cares for us. And so she's faithful in the task God gave her. If Deborah was somewhere between 30 and 40 when she came with Rebecca to Canaan, she's now 160 to 170 years of age. 
So she worked for around 140 years and never got promoted. All right, the same job. Uh, now, for some of you young mothers, uh, some days might seem like 100 years. Um, or maybe if you serve in the nursery, it might seem the service is twice as long as usual. I don't know. Uh, yet God honors faithful service to Him. The uh, Bible says, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. And it's that kind of faithfulness, a faithfulness to simply care for others. It's what makes an eternal impact. As God's Word reminds us, our labor in the Lord is never in vain. Uh, we can also see that Deborah has a, a privilege here. She unexpectedly experiences God's good providence over her life. Remember, had Rebecca never gone to marry Isaac... Deborah would have never heard about the true God of Israel. She would never have come to know the true God. But God was active in her life. God's purpose for her was to join the people of God, to receive God's grace. God allowed her to get to know Abraham and learn from him. And maybe this is stating the obvious, but the mention of Deborah here is a reminder that in the kingdom of God, in the church, everybody matters. Everybody. There's not a person that God does not care about. There's not a person we should not care about. There's not a task too small. It should not surprise us that Jacob and his family named the place where she's buried the Oak of Tears. So now Deborah the second. Now, go back to the idea of reading through the Bible for the first time. Not only would it surprise us for Moses to mention a family servant like Deborah, but the second Deborah person on the scene is a, perhaps an even bigger surprise. Judges 4 comes about as a startling, amazing chapter, uh, simply because given the role that women play in the Bible story up to that point, we're not prepared for the leadership role that Deborah has assumed in Israel. And so the passage dramatically affects uh, the perception we have of women in the Bible and the roles they play. And so we have no indication of how she got this role, but there's no doubt she's the nation's leader at this particular point in history. So what does she, that teach us about, uh, her life teaches us about? First, even though we don't know the circumstances, like the other judges, Deborah steps into a leadership role and she leads effectively. She assesses the need and she acts decisively. Look again at Judges 5-6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. Uh, the book of Joshua describes the people of Israel triumphantly entering the promised land uh, with great hope, with great expectation. And then Joshua dies, and so it seems for many that the hopes uh, of, uh, to be a, a nation in covenant with God. So we read about this time throughout the book of Judges and in Ruth. And though God is the king and his word is the law, the people are drifting away. 
from, from God as king, drifted away from his word, and they're beginning to live just the way they want to live. The theme verse of the Judges is, is, reveals what it was like in those days. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And friends, if there ever was a description of our world today, this is it. In the days of the Judges, it was not just what we might call moral relativity, where everybody decides they can do what they think is the right thing in, in a particular situation. Sort of an anything-goes way of thinking. I mean, that's bad enough. But what they have is an everything-goes mentality, producing great moral indifference that seeks to validate all behavior. Whatever it is, is okay. And the pattern they have here is to establish rebellion against God. So when Judges, God sends an enemy uh, against them who causes great pain. The people cry out for help. God raises up a, a, a judge, what we traditionally call them. Most often they bring about a military victory. The people then repent, resolve to live God's way. Then slowly the cycle repeats itself, go into moral decline, rebel against God, God sends judgment, they cry out, and so forth. Uh, and this kind of rebellion against God, uh, against God continues to take a devastating toll of today's culture and world. Again, sexual immorality, confusion, a total denial of people being made male and female in the image of God. A lost concept of, of absolute truth and mores. Low regard for the sanctity of life from the grave back to conception as we've seen in this week's events. A worldwide fear of war in Ukraine that's taken its toll on the global economy. And people cry out in covetousness. In other words, we look around and God's laws against adultery and lying and murder and covenant and all the rest. They're broken every single day. Uh, it's a time like this in the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As verse 8 tells us, when new gods were chosen. Notice, when, as society breaks down, the people choose new gods. What they choose actually are the, the same old gods um, that are turned to throughout history. Gods of sex and pleasure and money. Uh, people think will bring them relief and satisfaction, but never do. People were scared about the future. It says crime had ridden to the point where they, it says they stayed off the roads. They were afraid to get on the main roads. Commerce then slowed down. Business slowed down. So village life, in fact, had ceased. The sense of community was broken. There was despair and there was anxiety and there was oppression of the people by Jabin the Canaanite. And friends, we live in a world where village life is breaking down. Globally, actually, small rural villages are dying as people flee to the world's great cities, the mega cities like Manila, uh, Nairobi, and Bangkok. The quaint notion of village life for many exists no more. But these cities are, are broken places. They're in need of Debris. Today there are 120 million children in the world who live on the streets. Globally there's some 16 million sexually exploited children. And our nation, the leading cause of, of death among some segments of our youth population, it's murder. There's no respect for authority or law anymore. 
If ever there was a day when the, when the cry was for families, today's the day. And the world needs men to step up, but also godly women to step into the leadership vacuum that exists. The world needs safe villages for its families where commerce can be conducted and people can find jobs. Where children can play safely in the streets and grandparents can sit by and rock safely in their rocking chairs. That's a great picture, isn't it? All right. Um, Where there's a a transgenerational respect for life that reaches from conception to care for people during one's final days. Where one's word is true and marriage is truly held in high esteem by all people. And I love the title Deborah gives to herself here in, in her song, A Mother in Israel. And even though there's not a mention that she has a child, she probably doesn't. She does not hesitate to use the title mother, which suggests to me she has a real sense of the meaning of the covenant and the responsibility is the fall of the covenant community members and the critical role that women play in family and society. Today, we've already seen, next Sunday you get to see as well, we give the sacrament of covenant baptism to four children these two weeks. And after the parents take the vow, we always ask, what question do you as a congregation? Uh, and that question is not extraneous to what we do. It's vital. Uh, we ask the congregation if they're willing to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of their children. Now, friends, it's not that the village takes on the responsibility of the child. It is that the village takes on the responsibility of assisting the parents in their care for the child and the nurture of the child. That's a critical difference. Radical government socialism sees the children, our children, as belonging to the state. Friends, children do not belong to the state. God places children in the care of families. A rightful place of the covenant community community is to assist those families, assist those parents in the spiritual development of their children. That's why we should be clamoring to help care for and serve the children of this church. It should be waiting list. people of Israel lost their, their way because the parents and the covenant community neglected their obligations and the nation came under siege. And Deborah sees the problem in Israel very clearly. She sees the need, she envisions what she needs to do and she does it. The male leadership in Israel did not step up to the plate. And Deborah acts and she leads and brings about dramatic change in Israel because she's not content to just sit by and let things slide into a moral abyss. And under her leadership, when General Barak wavers, she helps lead Israel into battle. Now, the study of the battle waits another day. Suffice it to say that, that she shows great faith in God, great wisdom, great courage, and because of her, Israel defeats the enemy, and once again lives for God's glory. And the challenge before us is to be sure that our women, our mothers in Israel, who who serve God to the fullest potential of their gifts with the opportunities that God gives them. In our day, village life in the secure world of Mayberry is, is gone. 
And so we need women who are mothers in Israel to the hurting world around us. Women who are role models. Uh, uh, in a world that's, <laughs> that's not sure of what a woman is, let alone do they know what a godly woman is. Uh, we need women like Deborah who will step up to the challenge of dealing with a broken community in her day. God calls all of us to involvement. God calls women to be mothers in Israel. And so we have children, we have grandchildren, we have covenant children, we have children in this community. Uh, we have children around the world. Our task as a church is to reach all the children and their families and bring them into the covenant community. And when we do, we're going to see uh, verses 10 and 11 come to pass. They describe life returning to normal after Deborah's victory. Notice what it says. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Uh, traveling, getting together, singing, teaching God's word, worshiping, fellowship at the city gates. You see, family life returns, village life returns. And the victory that Deborah wins is only a prelude to the victory of Christ uh, over sin that, that he wins through his death on the cross to set all who believe in him free from our sin. It's that freedom that we proclaim to a world that's desperately in need of hope, that desperately needs to see Jesus. He's the one we're to model. Our task is to demonstrate His love so that we do make a difference in His world. And friends, somebody just say, if you don't know His love today, we'd love to share with you before you leave how you can know that for certain. Friends, we can have hope. Zechariah 8 describes that hope this way. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. So what about us? Two different women, two different life paths. Deborah the first spends her life behind the scenes. She shapes three generations of one of history's most significant families. Deborah the second lives her life on the public stage. She leads a nation. Both are members of God's family will meet in heaven. Both in the center of God's will for their lives. Both made a great impact in their sphere of influence. And again, even though apparently neither one of them had biological children, they impacted the lives of many children. Not just in their lifetime, but in every generation since. And what they had in common was, was a name, their faith in God and His promises, a commitment to serve God faithfully in the place where God put them, flexible, adaptable, satisfied and truly mothers in Israel. So they are role models. I would urge you to look at them. Uh, look for women like them in the world today and learn from them. We have a lot of them sitting around you this morning. Our prayer is that God will continue to use uh, you women to impact people like He used both Deborah's. 
that indeed he'll use us all for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning that we have uh, two women to look to. Father, uh, two Deborahs. Father, live their lives out in very different contexts, so it would seem. But Father, whom you used for your glory in the place where you put them. So Father, find uh, the women here faithful. Find uh, all of us faithful, we pray. uh, To caring for people. Father, for being used by you to make an impact for your kingdom here. Father, use us to reach the children, the families of this world with the gospel. To reach this community, Father. To reach into this church. Uh, Father, may we be found faithful, we pray. If there's somebody here that doesn't yet know Jesus, uh, Lord, today, Father, draw them to your Son, we would pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.